Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, fill us with this very word that we have heard today in all of your scriptures. Cause it to bear fruit within. Nourish our souls and our bodies with that very Spirit who comes to us through your word. Guide us continually upon this path you have placed us and give us strength to endure each day, to walk according to the call you have placed upon us, to follow you wherever you lead. And continually remind us in the words of Jesus that we are more valuable than that sparrow that falls whom you know. Continually remind us that we are known to you so deeply that even the hairs of our heads are counted and known to you. Fill us with that reality that we would be ever strengthened to go forth and to make you known. We ask these things all through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And again, another week where I get to say the gospel of our Lord just after a what could be seen as a very harsh saying of Jesus, that whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. But this bears down upon us as we hear about the persecutions to come. Throughout the early church up until the reign of Constantine, Christians underwent various kinds of persecutions for those first almost 300 years of the church's life. Persecutions would flare up over and over. Often they were not given imperial decree until Diocletian's reign. And in 303, he ruled that Christianity was now an illegal religion throughout the empire and that the church became heavily persecuted. This is the time where people were having their eyes plucked out. They were having hands cut off, fingers cut off because they would not give a pinch of incense to the emperor. They would not offer a moment of worship to the one who claimed to be Lord of Lords and King of Kings here on earth. They were willing to bear the brunt of every kind of human attack, of every kind of satanic attack, in order that they might not dishonor their Lord Jesus. And with the rise of Constantine as emperor, Christianity became legalized once more. His conversion led to many desiring to convert. And within just a few generations, by the end of the 4th century, Christianity became the official state religion of the Roman Empire. And because of that, Christianity has undergirded and affected everything that has occurred here in our Western world. But persecutions continue to remain to this day. In other parts of the world, heavy persecution, physical persecution, assaults on minds and bodies occur throughout the world. 
especially as you travel into the Middle East and into communist China and communist North Korea. God's servants are continually being abused and torn down. The world turns against God. The devil stands against God. Even our very flesh stands against God. This flesh that is in deep need of purification. That is in deep need of being renewed and changed. Many throughout the world and throughout the history of the church have cried out in these words, And hide not your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. O hasten and hear me. Hide not your face from your servant, the psalmist prays. Why would we pray such a prayer like that? Why would we pray such a prayer like our colic today? That the Lord is the author and giver of all good things. That we would ask Him to graft love of His name into our hearts. That we would ask Him to increase in us true religion. That we would ask Him to nourish us with all goodness. And we'd ask Him to bring forth in us good works and the fruit of good works. How is it that we can pray a prayer like that when we hear about all of these words from Jesus today? The reason is that despite the world and the flesh and the devil standing against us, despite even ourselves standing against us, Jesus Himself has overcome all sin. And He knows us wholly. He knows us completely. He knows us inwardly and outwardly. And that should comfort us. That should renew our hearts. That should renew our minds. That should renew our actions. That regardless of the world, the flesh and the devil and even ourselves, Jesus has laid hold of us and He knows us as His own. And in His knowing us as His own, He tells His disciples about sheep and wolves and serpents and doves. Here in this first few verses of our reading today from Matthew, Jesus tells His disciples, I'm sending you out. All this time, His disciples have been journeying with Jesus. They've been walking alongside Him, hearing His teaching, seeing Him heal and do the work of the Messiah. And now here He has called these twelve who are His apostles, to go forth and to carry His authority, to carry His power out into this world that Jesus doesn't take all the authority to Himself and refuse to share it with His people. He places it upon His people, His apostles, that they could go out and do the things that He's doing. But He solemnly warns them, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You're going out as what appear to be weak, incompetent sheep. You're going out as these animals who are in need of constant attention from a shepherd. Who are going to be now, not in a sheepfold, not with other sheep, but going out into the midst of the wolves, of wild, ravenous animals whose goal is to destroy you, whose goal is to devour you alive. So Jesus warns them, you're going out into a world that is hostile, into an environment that rejects you, into an environment that would happily see you destroyed. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Have the wisdom that the world 
grants to the serpent. Throughout time, the serpent has always been an image of wisdom, an image image of cunningness, an image of sneakiness even. And he can silently escape by just simply slithering away. But wisdom has always been associated with serpents. For after all, it's associated with health as well. For the doctors have their pole with the twin serpents wrapped around it, representing wisdom and health. So serpents are always evil things in this world. They have wisdom. And we can see them as wise. And so Jesus says, have that wisdom, have that cunning, have that skill in this world to maneuver around, but yet remain innocent as doves, remain in purity and holiness while using godly wisdom, while walking in this world because you're in the midst of wolves. And here are the wolves that they are going to encounter, Jesus shows them. Men who will deliver them over to the courts that they will be flogged in the synagogues. You'll be dragged before the governors and kings for my sake. You will be there to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Those are some of the wolves that these disciples are going to encounter, that the church will encounter throughout her life. Those who would abuse and beat and attempt to destroy. And it's all for the sake of Jesus. He'll go on to say in verse 22 that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. My name's sake. (laughs) Jesus is claiming a divine prerogative here. For whose namesake are we to serve but God alone, Yahweh alone? And here Jesus sends these men out in His name that they will be abused, that they will be abused, that they will be punished and beaten and even killed in some cases for the sake of Jesus' name. But in the midst of all of this, of these struggles that are to come upon the disciples and upon the church, He says, don't be anxious how to speak or what you're to say in those moments when you are to witness before these governors and these Gentiles and these kings and these men who are delivering you to the courts. Don't be anxious. But know that the Father is speaking through you by His Spirit. The Spirit of the Father will speak through you. He's not telling His disciples not to have thoughts, not to have considerations about responses, about living in this world, to be realizing the reality. He wouldn't be warning them if He didn't want them to think about the reality of this world. Which, of course, if they're going to be dragged into course, they know they will have to give testimony. They'll have to give witness to what they have been saying. But He says, don't be anxious about what to say. Because the Spirit indwells you. The Spirit has been given to you. That is, don't try to think your way out of the situation. Don't believe that your cunning, that your rhetoric is what will save your life when you're delivered up. It is the Lord's words that will deliver and convict. The Spirit of the Father is who will give them the words of wisdom needed in those moments of tension, in those moments of persecution, in those moments of intense alarm and fear. And of course, how will they know the words of the Father through the Spirit? It's because they are already drawing near to the Father. They are continually active in their dependence upon this gracious God. 
And it points us to that reality that we must continually draw near to God. That we must hear His Word. We must read His Word. We must pray His Word. We must partake of His sacraments that He has given us, baptism and the Lord's Supper, to continually be renewed and lifted up. We're to continually meet in the fellowship of believers, to worship together as one body. For in these moments, the Spirit of God is active in us and reshaping us and putting deep down within us the words of God. So that we will become more and more convinced that it's not our abilities, but God's that will lead us and guide us. Because God has chosen us. He has claimed us through our baptisms to be His own before we ever knew Him. That we would feed on Christ through the sacrament and there be renewed by that body and blood and be strengthened because of His presence in us. That is why, he says, do not be anxious for the Spirit of the Father will speak through you. Because these men are being drawn up into Christ. They are being sent out by Christ. They have been fed and built up by Him. And thus are to be sent out into this world without anxiety of the things to come. Because they are keeping themselves in His presence. And we likewise are to keep ourselves in His presence. To draw near to Him continually to be built up by Him. And he gives them that practical advice in verse 23. When persecutions come, when they persecute you in one town, go to the next. But just before that, he said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That he's going to strengthen his disciples by the Spirit of the Father given to them. That as they are drawing near, continually looking to him, and his forgiveness is being applied to them over and over in the renewal of, of their hearts and their minds is being done in them. They will endure to the end and be saved. And that's what we hear about in Jeremiah's life today. There earlier in chapter 20, he is being persecuted. He had just been beaten by one of the priests of the temple and put in stocks overnight in public and forced to hang there in the stocks all night long. And then when he was released, he was, began prophesying again, with the very words that got him put into the stocks, bringing judgment, prophesying judgment against Jerusalem because the Word of God was, was burning fire in his bones. He couldn't resist it. He becomes so despondent after all of that that he says, I have been deceived by the Lord. I have been overpowered by the Lord because I can't not speak. I must speak these words. But nevertheless, my Lord is a dread warrior. He is the one who will come down and He will accomplish His Word. He will bring judgment. He will vindicate the words He has placed in my mouth. He hears me. And my words will work. My words will bring forth what He desires. It will call forth the people to turn to Him and some will and they will be saved. They will be turned from the disaster to come. Because Jeremiah can't remain silent. And he knows that God will act when the time is right. So he goes on to proclaim the Word of God to those who utterly refuse to know the fullness of God's judgment. But even more so, Jesus tells them about disciples and teachers and masters and servants that the disciple and the servant is not above the teacher and the master. Jesus is going to endure all of these things and worse. 
They should expect the same. They should not be surprised. Because after all, they call the master of the house Beelzebul, the lord of the flies, the evil one, Satan himself. How much more are they going to malign the disciples and the servants? How much more are they going to reject those who follow the teacher and the master? If they've hated him so much that they would equate him with Satan. So disciples have a one aspect of encouragement that if their master is hated, they will be hated too. That means that they are following their master, that they are following their teacher. As they walk this path, making his word known, the people will reject them. There will be those who turn against them. But even so, in this last section, we hear of the bodies and souls and sparrows and hares. And in the midst of all of that, as Jesus talks about these bodies and souls, these sparrows and hares, there is the comforting command to fear not. Three times Jesus says, have no fear, don't fear them. The most commanded command in the Bible, do not fear. Whether it's the Lord Himself, the angel of the Lord, or one of the other angels, the messengers coming before people. When they see the glory of God, they are told not to fear. Do not fear what there is here. Do not fear me, for I am here on behalf of the God and Father of all. So have no fear. If you're to have no fear of God, have no fear of man because they can't do anything to you in the ultimate sense. If you're being welcomed into God's gracious presence, do not fear what man can do to you then. Whatever is covered will be surely revealed. Whatever is hidden will be made known. Jesus says, what I tell you in the dark, proclaim in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear to make known the Word of God. Don't fear to make known the will of Jesus for our lives. Don't fear to make known what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf and why He had to accomplish what He did. Do not fear what man may do to you because I am with you. Do not fear because the Spirit of the Father is with you. Do not fear that they might be able to destroy your body, that they would be able to kill you and harm you. But have the right fear of God in heaven who could destroy body and soul. Who could remove you. Who could bring down judgment on all, but yet extends grace and mercy to all who turn to Him. As He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one will fall to the ground without the Father's knowledge. Father knows the sparrows that are sold for just a tiny bit of money. He knows them so well that He knows the moments of their deaths. How much more so for us who are more valuable than that? That the hairs of our heads are counted and known by the Father in heaven. And so despite what the world can do, despite the persecutions, we hear that God knows us fully, that He knows us wholly, and He has given us Jesus to die for our sins, to remove those sins from before the Father. And not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. That all who turn to Christ can be forgiven. That's what Paul is proclaiming there in Romans 5 today. 
As we consider the knowledge that God has of these sparrows and the knowledge that God has of the hairs of our heads, that He has that knowledge because He is ready and able to redeem us from our sins. Because He sent Jesus to be condemned for all, that all might have righteousness, that all might come and be forgiven. God doesn't desire to come down in judgment against the people that He has created. He will do it when they refuse to turn to Him. And He has done it over and over in the past toward His people when they refuse to to turn back to Him, when they refuse to turn from their sins, from their idolatries. He has rained down judgment on them. But not before continually extending grace and mercy continually extending a word of forgiveness toward them to turn from those sins and know His mercy, to know His kindness. That is what God does. He causes people to Himself in the midst of their sins that they would not have to endure condemnation at the end of the day. Yes, God brings a harsh word against us, but He does it in order to draw us back to Himself. He does it to convict us to turn us away from that path of condemnation so that we would know His mercy in you, so that we would know His grace in you. And so the Father in heaven knows us better than sparrows. He knows us better than the hairs on our heads. Jesus fully knows us and has taken away our sins. So that now, as Jesus says in verse 32, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. A word of gospel, a word of law. It's a reminder that we are to walk in the paths of Jesus continually. As He sends us out, as He sends out His apostles, He comforts them that Whoever proclaims me before man, whoever acknowledges me, whoever receives my authority, who receives and submits to me as their Lord, as their Savior, I will acknowledge before my Father. I will hold you to myself. I will make you one with myself as you walk in this world faithfully. But the one who denies me, I will not acknowledge. I will deny him as well. But hear this, that this denial that Jesus speaks of is not a one-off accidental denial. It's not a one-off denial of fear of man momentarily. It's a continual unrepentant denial. It's a rejection of who God is, a rejection of His grace and His mercy, a rejection of His revelation and His commands. It's a walking on your own path instead of walking on the path of God, the path of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the denial that Jesus is talking about here. It's making oneself the authority in all things. Submitting only to oneself, but not to God. That's the denial Jesus speaks of here that will lead to denial before the Father. But I remind you, Now here when it says, whoever denies me before men, I will deny. That's the very same words that are used by Jesus of Peter and what He does on the night that that Jesus is betrayed. 
He says, Peter, you will deny me three times before men this night. You will reject me before the world. And of course, Jesus, Peter doesn't believe it. He doesn't believe that he could ever turn from Jesus. But he does. But what happens after that? Peter turns back to his Savior. Peter returns to his Lord and Master. Peter returns and receives the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Despite denying Jesus three times before men, Jesus welcomes Peter back into the fold. He receives him back and sends him forth to go back out into this world to make Jesus known. Despite Peter's denial, Jesus heals him. Jesus brings him back through confession and forgiveness, absolution brought upon him. And that is where we rest. That regardless of how we fall from the Lord, how we stumble, how we may deny Him at times, Jesus takes us back. He receives us back. He forgives us. He renews us by applying that forgiveness to our hearts. He restores us into His love. And He fills us with that love that we might then go back out into this world to proclaim Him without fear, to love Him and to serve Him, to bear the fruits of good works that He is bringing out of us as we walk this path of knowing Jesus. Despite the persecutions, despite the worldliness, despite the flesh and the devil being against us, Jesus has conquered all for us. He overcame all of those things and He wholly knows us and He heals us completely. He knows us better than the sparrows because His Father knows us better than the sparrows. And we can find comfort as we walk this path before the Lord. He turns us from ourselves. He turns us from that which would drive us from the Lord. He turns us from that which would draw us away so that we might make Him known. That we would make Him known to others so they can know that very Jesus who knows them wholly. Who receives them so that they can be renewed. And thus as Jesus renews us, He works through us to renew others. So let us rest in that renewal continually that the gospel of the kingdom would go out through us as God's people and that we would know the joy of the Father's love for us through Jesus Christ, that He knows us and loves us and has made us His own. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.